Well, good morning. It's very humbling to stand up here after a video like that. Um, I don't really know what to say other than uh, I'm very grateful to serve with the volunteers of this church, and namely our board of directors that serve also as our deacons. And, uh, you know, I would just say, the one thing I will say is that the things that they're articulating in there, that's a good sign to me that our staff is doing what we're supposed to be doing. And that's the standard that we set for ourselves. And if we ever fall short of that, we need to hear about that too. And the, and the deacon's job is to let us know. Um, so thank you. And we will, um, uh, the, the deacon's team will receive that offering on October 30th if you would like to participate. And, uh, you know, for those of you that do like to bake things for pastor appreciation, just pray. Pray that those calories do not add up into uh, any unhealthy uh, realities in life because I'm, you know, I do appreciate those baked goods every now and then. Well, I, I do want to say good morning to those of you here in the gathering and those watching online and in traditions, and we get to have our Ording campus joining us on the stream this morning, and hello, Pastor Darren. He will be speaking to all of our venues next Sunday as we begin a new series, and this new series um, is intentional as we kind of move towards a season in our nation that can be pretty controversial, right? We have in about six weeks or so, we have our midterm elections coming up, and I would imagine that you're already aware of different discussions going on in our society about what is the right way about this thing or that thing. In fact, I was listening to a, a podcast that was discussing some issues this morning that are, that are a conversation in our society. I was surprised to find out that, they are a con that these, these topics are a conversation, but to summarize some of the issues brought up on this podcast... There have been a number of, um, at least a couple of TED Talks recently, and TED Talks are kind of these short, innovative speeches, kind of helping people think outside of the box, whether that's in technology or politics or social issues. And there's been a couple of TED Talks addressing pedophilia and how pedophilia is a feeling that adults, some adults have, and because it's something that they feel, how could we ask them to deny something that comes naturally to them? That was surprising to hear that. Um, however, it's in line with the, nat the, the natural thinking in our society, which is if you feel it, you have to do it. If you feel it, it is right for you to do it. Now, it shouldn't take long for you to think back in your life, things that you have felt, maybe when someone cut you off on the road or maybe, you know, some different, different things that have risen up in you instinctively. There are feelings that we should all be able to say as adults, those would not be good feelings, what our society's struggling with is where to draw the line. And in this particular case, there, there is kind of a fringe movement moving towards um, a greater social acceptance for those who identify as pedophiles. And um, while I would just say if that's something that is a struggle in your life, there is healing and restoration and acceptance in this church family that we also all have to recognize, every single one of us, that we have instincts and feelings that come naturally to us that are not healthy. They're not, not godly. They're not only not godly, they're not healthy. They won't lead us to a place of flourishing. And we come to Jesus for restoration for that. Interestingly, um, this, this fringe movement has met um, some obstacles, and one of those obstacles is a LGBT group that um, has said, hey, we believe in freedom of expression, even in sexual expression, but we have to draw the line somewhere, and the sexualization of kids is where we draw the line. So this LGBT group has actually um, protested this um, group moving for the acceptance of pedophiles. 
And kind of an interesting dynamic. And, and what, what the, the representative of this LGBT group came on this podcast to share was that they were surprised when some organizations that had previously supported them, one of them specifically that I was, you know, that we probably all are familiar with was PayPal. It's a, you know, an international company that processes finances. I don't know why they're quite as involved in social issues as they seem to be. But they, um, they, Shortly after, along with a couple of other major companies, informed this LGBT group that they would no longer be servicing them because they had acted in discriminatory ways. And this woman who represents the LGBT group was saying how strange it was that not too long ago they had felt that they were the target of discrimination and now she feels they are being targeted for drawing moral lines that she would never consider discrimination. Now, we would sit here and say that, that both of these groups, while they are not outside of the love of Jesus, are outside of the behavioral standards that Jesus has called us to live in. That would be, if, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, that would be a, a normal perspective for you on, on those issues. And, and that those people are called to come to Jesus both to feel his love and his healing in their lives and also to find kind of their true north of where is that line drawn, what is right and what is wrong. And as we have blurred the lines of morality and blurred the lines of things, particularly by following our feelings and by saying anything against what anyone else's feelings are must be wrong, we have blurred the lines of what is right. And we now live in a society where it is very difficult for people, for the average person growing up in our society to know what is right and what is wrong. There are some in our society that would like to just say, well, those are outdated categories anyways. There's really no such thing as right or wrong. And telling a human being with a moral conscience that there is no right or wrong is like pretending that gravity doesn't exist so that you can deny up and down. Like they're categories of existence and they may not be quite as scientifically evidenced, but they are evidenced in the souls and spirits of human beings. And we have a, a question, we have to be able to answer the question of, of how do we choose what is right and what is wrong? And again, I would say as we go over these next few weeks into an election season, we're going to, as a nation, we're going to elect lawmakers um, by majority votes is kind of the way it's supposed to work, right? We elect lawmakers that will sit in our Congress and will be charged with making laws that represent the right way of doing things that should result in the best way of life for the most amount of people. And there will be some people who feel like their right way is winning and others who feel like their right way is losing. And if it's anything like previous election cycles, it will be pretty controversial and frustrating and a lot of people will be angry and mad and other people will feel like they just won a war and all sorts of things like that. And I think this is a great opportunity as we consider, and I hope that as, as adults um, in the church that you will take your citizenship responsibility to vote seriously, not because it's the way that we save the world, but because it's a part of being a contributing citizen in our society. And um, regardless of how, how uh, much you feel that impacts the end results, it's a good thing to do the right thing, even if other people do the wrong thing, Right? And, and this is a great opportunity for us as we consider some of the political issues that will be put in front of us and some of the arguments that will be put in front of us. It's a good thing for us to consider how do we choose what is right and what is wrong. 
It's a known statistic that if you grew up in a home that voted Republican, you are most likely to vote Republican and think that's the right way to look at life. And, and the same, if you, if you grew up in a home that voted Democrat, you are most likely to think that, that voting Democrat is the right way. And if you've been around church for a while, you know that I think that if you are putting all your eggs in either one of those baskets, you have not read the whole Bible and don't believe it fully. Not that you can't vote for a candidate of your choosing, but that is a piece of citizenship responsibility and how we choose should not be by the home we grew up in or by the commercials we watch or by what we want for ourselves in our society, but we should really deeply, prayerfully, thoughtfully consider what is right and what is wrong. And how do we consider, how do we, how do we figure out what is right and what is wrong? And I'm, I'm you know, brandishing my Bible up here. Why? For some of you might be like, what, what, what's with the book? But I have found comfort in the fact that billions of people, many of them far smarter than myself, literally, and I'm not, this isn't an exaggeration, billions of people around the world across, again, not an exaggeration, hundreds of cultures and linguistic differences, philosophical differences, uh, religious backgrounds, and even throughout history over thousands of generations, billions of people have come to the conclusion that the Bible is the best source of truth, the best way to know what is right and wrong in all of human existence. That there is no, there's no better way to determine what is right and wrong than in the Bible. And you don't have to take my word for it, but I would encourage you to prayerfully read through scripture and think about those claims yourself. Ask God, and if you don't believe in God, ask God if he's real to reveal himself to you as you read this book. And again, the proof of history is that God desires to reveal himself to you. And by doing it in the context of this book is one of the, the, his favorite ways to do that. <clears throat> so billions of people believe that the Bible provides principles to help us navigate life in the right way. And, and God makes no bones about it in, in the Bible. He really does believe that he has the right way. And he kind of likes to throw down the, you know, the, the ace card of, well, I created you all, so I think I have the right to tell you how you were supposed to live your life. Kind of audacious, but he did create the whole universe, so I guess he gets to do that. And, and when the world went wrong, the Bible tells us the story of when the world went wrong, that God immediately made a plan to make it right again. He immediately took action to make it right again, and he kind of began his plan that is not necessarily the way I would have planned it. It was a little bit more grassroots. It's taken thousands of years. It's relied on broken and imperfect people. I mean, all these things that I wouldn't have done, God did. But he had this plan, and he started it really with Abraham. We've just finished talking about Abraham's journey of faith, but there was a critical moment in Abraham's journey where God revealed how he was going to use Abraham and those that would follow Abraham in faith to bring a world gone wrong and set it right again. It says this in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. It says, For I have chosen him, Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. I want you to notice a couple of things. He wants him to keep the way of the Lord. In fact, put the scripture back up there, if you will. 
He wants them to keep the way of the Lord, and the way of the Lord is defined in two terms, righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. These are critical pieces that God uses to describe the right way to live. You can put it down again, thank you. But the Bible presents the way of the Lord as the right way to live, that God has intended for every human being, we were made in his image, we're made to reflect him, we are made to live out God's ways in this world, each in our own personality and circumstances, we are designed to be like God. And when we live the way of the Lord, we are living our human lives the correct way, the right way. And the Bible tells us that not living our lives in the way of the Lord is the wrong way to live our lives. And when we live our lives in the way of the Lord, the right way, as it says for Abraham, it said that he would bring Abraham the promises that God had made to him, promises of of exponential blessing. When we live in the ways of God the right way, we experience blessings far beyond our capability to earn on our own. And when we live the wrong way, any way besides the way of the Lord, we bring what the Bible calls curses. We actually put ourselves outside of the line of God's intended way for the world to work to, to, to result in our blessing and God's glory. And so the way of the Lord is the right way to live. And the beautiful thing is that thanks to Jesus, we don't always have to be perfect at that. God recognized that because sin had entered the world and because of sin, we naturally choose selfish actions, prideful actions, greedy actions, and all the other things that we can do as a result of those instincts, those sinful instincts inside of us, that we would have a really hard time ever doing this perfectly once once we had sinned. And so he sent Jesus, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but he sent Jesus to make a way in which we don't have to be perfect to live out the way of the Lord we simply are called back to be faithful. We're called back to be faithful. And that ability to not be perfect is not an excuse to continue in imperfections or to continue outside of the way of the Lord. It is an opportunity to step back in to the way of the Lord. And the way of the Lord is described in these two key words, righteousness and justice. And this morning in the announcements here in the gathering, uh, Pastor Shannon confessed his struggle with linguistics and all those things that come with that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a couple of Hebrew words this morning because, and I'll tell you why in a moment, but these Hebrew words righteousness and justice are rooted from the, are, are re- rooted from the Hebrew words tzedakah and mishpat. Those are kind of fun to say. Just like turn to somebody and say tzedakah. You got to say it like you're you know, almost going to spit on them, tzedakah, and mishpat. Mishpat just sounds like, ah, mishpat, you know, I don't know, like a grumpy, like, you know, ah, humbug, mishpat, I don't know. But these two words are significant, and why do I tell you the Hebrew terms? Because those two Hebrew terms are found paired together in the same sentence or verse 52 different times throughout the Old Testament. That's a lot. That's a lot for the same words to be used in the same sentence together. There's some words that individually you can find that many times or even more, but it's rare to find the same two words together that many times in the Old Testament. It was this, this idea of tzedakah and mishpat, righteousness and justice together is a very important idea that God wants to accomplish because these two words sum up the way of the Lord. These two words in the Old Testament sum up the right way to live. 
And so what do they mean? You know, this biblical idea of righteousness, it's not really a word that we use anymore in culture, and maybe that's a good thing, because we tend to blur things that we use a lot in our society. But righteousness, kind of broadly put, is doing what is right in every relationship, human or divine, according to God's standard. According to God's standard, that God set a standard, and this is how healthy relationships happen without sin. This is how relationship with God happens without sin. This is how relationship with people happens. This is how relationships should happen between parents and kids, husbands and wives, friends, neighbors, uh, coworkers, bosses, all these things that God defines how these relationships are meant to live. And when we do them the way God intended, we are doing righteousness. We are living righteously. And that's an important thing, that, that God desires us to live righteously. I want you to think about some of, the, some of the different roles in our society. For instance, think about the business person. The business person who has the opportunity to cut corners to make a greater profit. And maybe they'll cut corners on the product and the customer will get ripped off. Or maybe they'll cut corners on compensation for their staff and the staff is getting ripped off. Or maybe they cut, cut corners on their taxes and they're not, they're not giving the government what the government has, has put in place for them to give, or maybe they're cutting corners on their schedule, and though they're successful in business, their family never sees them. That would be unrighteous business leadership because any one of those is doing business at the expense of a right relationship. But the righteous business person, the integrous business person, does what's right by the customer, by the employees, by the government, even when they may disagree with the government's principles and with their own family. Do you see how all of the different relationships around them are potential for righteousness or unrighteousness? I'm thankful that in our church I know a number of businessmen and women who do business that way and they are representing the way of the Lord in the way that they do business. Right? Or think about the stay-at-home mom who is, is in an uh, undeniably exhausting setting. I mean, works more hours at their job than anybody else ever works at their job, right? <laughs> right? Stay-at-home parents, you wake up doing your job, you fall asleep do, doing your job, and you may get woken up while you sleep to do your job, right? And, and think about the stay-at-home parent who consistently has rhythms and routines that benefit the health of their children, their spouse, that consistently does discipline in the right ways, that consistently educates their children to live the flourishing life that God has called them, rather than just giving into losing their temper or, or leaning into to substances to help support their emotional health or, or, or lack thereof, or some of the other things, or just lets their, their stress with their children result in endless conflict with their spouse, or all those kinds of things, right? That there are multiple relationships factored in here that when that stay-at-home parent makes sure that they do right in these other relationships, they're doing righteousness. And when they're doing anything else, they are doing, they are living out unrighteousness. Now again, let's just stop and say none of us are perfect, okay? (laughs) Everyone's right now. There's these moments I know in sermons where you feel, everybody feels guilty for something or you just are angry, which is its own form of guilt. Okay, but we don't need to feel guilty. We just need to feel convicted. Like, yeah, you know, there's probably some things in my life I could do a little more righteously if I considered the impact of my life on everyone else around me. 
right? And the Bible presents righteousness as the pathway to flourishing. When we do relationships with God and people, everyone around us in the way that God has prescribed, it leads us to the abundant life that Jesus rescued us for. It leads us to the life that is better than what we can imagine, that is more satisfying than anything we can get on our own. It's what we call flourishing. When we live righteously, we flourish internally and externally. When we live unrighteously, there's no amount of success or accomplishment or pursuit of of desire that can actually bring satisfaction in our lives. It is a bottomless pit of hopelessness. And yet the world is constantly tempted towards those things. Now let's talk about justice. Justice is making right what is wrong in a broken world according to God's standard. So again, God sets the standard of what's right and wrong. When we do God's standard, we do righteousness, and when we fix something that is not up to God's standard, we do justice. Justice is setting right those things that are wrong. Justice happens every time somebody apologizes and commits to a different course of behavior in a relationship. Justice happens every time that we recognize something that is wrong in our workplace and we take it upon ourselves to set that right. Justice happens every time we bring something hidden in darkness that we know is morally wrong and we bring it into light and commit to walking that thing towards restoration and healing, justice happens. Justice happens when we advocate for broken situations that can't advocate for themselves. Justice happens when we use the blessings in our life to restore blessings that have been stolen in someone else's life, have been lost in someone else's life, right? Justice happens anytime we recognize, man, righteousness is not happening, and it should. Righteousness is, right relationships are not being used, and they should, they should be. Justice makes right what is wrong. And so when we look at the things around us in the world and we recognize that's not right and we do something about it, we do justice. When we ignore it, we allow injustice to continue in small ways or in big ways. When we think about justice, we should think about a courtroom picture and a judge who sits on their platform and they're not looking to please a political party, they're not looking to get promoted, they're not looking to make a little money on the side, they're not motivated by anything self-promoting, they are only motivated by finding what is fair and just and restoring what is broken to something that is healthy and whole. That's the picture of justice. The picture of justice is a police officer who in the midst of a culture that is swirling with social agendas and political agendas continues to faithfully direct people regardless of their background, race, color, anything else, continues to uphold what is true and just and right. That is a a beautiful picture of justice when someone regardless of all the pressures around them does what is right. Justice is the parent who is not just swayed by a kid that they relate a little bit more with than one of their other kids and, and prioritizes that kid unequivocally, but justice is the, is the parent who, who disciplines fairly in the home, who consistently holds us not a double standard but the same standard for the behavior in the home and holds themselves accountable to it as well. 
is willing to apologize and take on consequences themselves when they don't live up to the standard they've set for their children. You see, these are pictures of justice. When someone is committed to doing right, even though there's opportunity to ignore what would be right in that situation. Now, justice has the ability to restore flourishing when flourishing has been lost. And we see um, throughout history, we see the ability of Christianity and people that are committed to justice able to restore flourishing to people who have not had flourishing. We see that, that Christian compassion and Christ, Christian justice ministries are committed to the restoration of broken people. We see that, it, that many, of the, the work, many of the works with homeless people has been led by Christians having compassion and wanting to bring restoration. We see that many of the, the greatest efforts of racial reconciliation in history have been led by Christian movements that see everyone made in the image of God and brother-to-brother -brother relationships as the healthiest way to live. We see Christian compassion sometimes standing in the face of governmental threats to defend the defenseless throughout history. And there's a beauty in a commitment to justice, even a sacrificial commitment to justice, to protect people and to restore flourishing. So righteousness, tzedakah, and justice, mishpat, righteousness and justice are the ways of God. And they are the right way for us to live. They're the right way for us to live. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, that makes things pretty easy, or at least clear, maybe not easy. If you're not a follower of Jesus, these are some claims for you to consider. And again, I would consider them inviting God to reveal himself to you as you read through scripture. But righteousness and justice are the ways of God. They are what are meant to influence our decisions and we are meant to exercise our influence. Wherever we've been given influence, we are meant to exercise influence on behalf of righteousness and justice. So I've used examples of, of influence from a, from, a family, uh, from a family atmosphere, influence in the business realm, influence in the, the legal realm. We are meant to exercise our influence on behalf of righteousness and justice. And whenever we don't, it is unrighteous and we are committing injustice. And that includes citizens voting. We should vote from a perspective of biblical righteousness and justice, which sometimes means, at least for me, maybe not for you, sometimes it means that I have to lay down things that would be more comfortable for me. Things that would preserve my way of life. Things that would be preferable to me. Sometimes to exercise the influence that I have for the sake of righteousness and justice for other people, I have to lay down things that I would rather keep in order to fight for righteousness and justice for someone else. I have to do that as a dad when I'm being a good dad. I have to do that as a husband when I'm being a good husband. I have to do that as a citizen of our nation. I have to do that as a pastor. When I am living in righteousness and justice, it is a constant discipline of me laying down what is comfortable and preferable for me in the moment to do what's right by everybody else. Wouldn't we say that's the way we want everyone to live? Just sometimes not us. Sometimes not us. We are responsible to do what is right and to do what is just, whether that's in the way that we vote, 
whether that's in the way that we live our daily lives, whether that's in the way that we lead our homes. And when it comes to issues of righteousness and justice, I am the first one to be guilty of this. We tend to focus externally, don't we? You know, I, I don't know how you reacted when I shared that, the story of that podcast that, that I told, but it's, sometimes it's mind-blowing to me to think about where other people's minds go, and I'm like, how could they think that? How could anybody do that? But then, if the Lord just played on the screen for you some of the darker moments in Caleb Bryant's mind, whew, be scarring for all of us. And we'd think, how could he ever, how could that ever go through his head? How, why would he ever think that? You're like, what are you thinking about, Caleb? None of your business. <laughs> it's between me and Jesus right now, okay? And a couple of accountability partners, right? But here's the, here's the reality. When it comes to righteousness and justice, we, we always focus on other people. If only they would do the right thing. If only they would fix that. If only someone else would fix what's wrong. When is the government gonna fix what's wrong? When is my candidate gonna get elected and fix what's wrong with this country? Should I even go there? Maybe in a minute. But here's the reality. Whenever we think that it's somebody else's problem to do what is right or to fix what is wrong, we are abdicating the influence that God has given us. And can I remind you that regardless, you may feel like you are the least influential person in the world and praise the Lord because I bet you have a first seat right at God's ear. You need to start using it. The greatest influence you have is prayer, to pray for the righteousness and justice of our nation, to pray for the righteousness and justice of your workplace. If you're not interceding, you have no right to advocate. Your advocacy with human beings should always be secondary to your advocacy to God. And if you're not doing that, if you're not standing before God, saying, God, I'm crying out to you for this, then you have no business opening your mouth anywhere else. Because it will end up being just as unrighteous and unjust as what you're combating. We need to be careful of that. And here's, here's the thing. There's going to be unrighteous and unjust individuals all around us. Always. I mean, we live in a broken world. And if God was worried about that, he would have just beamed us up to heaven the moment we came to Jesus. He's actually excited that you're around broken unrighteous people because you know why he sent you to demonstrate righteousness and to do justice to fix what's broken and Jesus even showed you the way to do it and he wants to start a movement can I just tell you I believe that our our nation here here's the the real dilemma I see in our nation most of us are still pretty darn comfortable but our nation is desperately in need most of us are still pretty comfortable. What do I mean by that? Most of you are going to go home and you are going to sleep tonight in a safe place. You're not worried about if you're going to have food. You're worried about what kind of food you're going to eat. If you want a job, you can get a job. You know, a lot of the basic things that make people really start getting, getting full of angst and fight for things, we have all the things to keep us from getting too fired up. But the cancer that is beneath the surface in our society, I believe, is irreversible short of a move of God. It's irreversible. Our nation is heading towards a place of anarchy and chaos that will make it a place where healthy living is difficult to have. It's just, 
And I'm not like a, gen- I'm not like a so- sociological genius. Like this is just, if you look at our nation and what other nations have done in history and we're just doing all the worst things that other nations have done, we're just doing them faster because we have more money and more technology. Right? So the problem that I see is that we are too comfortable to respond to the desperate situation that our culture is in. So we think, man, somebody should fix that, but I'm pretty good right now, so I don't need to to discomfort myself. Man, somebody needs to do something like that. Man, God needs to do a move in our nation. God needs to change something. Somebody needs to change something, but I'm glad I'm comfortable right now. Where are we going to lunch? What are we eating for dinner? Man, I should have stayed home and watched the football game. Right? We, we're pretty comfortable, so we're not motivated to sacrifice. We're not motivated to lay things down. We're not motivated to change the way we live. We're not motivated to give out of, our, out of what we indulge ourselves in to meet the needs of the world around us. We're not willing to give out of our schedules to seek the face of God for him to move in our nation. We're not willing to give out of our finances to meet the needs of people who are hurting and broken. We're not willing to change our own habits and patterns to demonstrate true, uncompromising righteousness to the world around us. We are way too happy to play the, play, play the field and, and sit on the fence and say, man, I'm kind of, uh, I kind of am in both worlds. Do you remember Sodom and Salem with Abraham? If you missed that message, it's a good one. You should actually listen to that one. Jesus called us to lead the way in righteousness and justice. And he lived out a perfectly righteous life in a very broken world, just like me and you, very broken. And he defined righteousness in this way in Matthew chapter 12, if you want to turn there, my primary passage for today, Matthew chapter 12, and I'm going to start a verse sooner than I have on the screen. In verse 29, Listen to this. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. So Jesus is putting some priority on this. If you want to just sum up the whole Bible, you're like, Caleb, I'm not going to read the whole Bible. Okay, listen to this. Just do this, and I think God will be, you know, that's a great start if you just do this one little thing. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, O people of God. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And that's all. That's all. Love him with all you got. And that's all. Righteousness, remember righteousness is right relationship. Right relationship with God is 100% in every moment, in every situation, loyalty to God. Because he is 100% in every moment, in every situation, loyal to you. Loyalty to God in every decision, every moment that you're like, God, I'm putting you first in this moment. That's how you love God. You don't love God when you come to church and you're like, God, I love you for a minute. And then the next day you're out doing whatever you want to do and you don't even think about God all day. That's not loving God. That's like kind of dating God, but not taking him very seriously. 
Love the Lord your God with all that you have. That loyalty to God is the right way to, to relate to him. And the word the, the, the Bible uses for when anything else than loving God with all, anything else, if you are one hair short of loving God with all that you have, the Bible calls it idolatry. You're an idolater. You love something else more than you love God. You're an idolater. You have more than one God. And you love that other one as much or more, or at least you love it enough to not love God with all that you have. You're an idolater. It's a big problem in the Bible. But he doesn't stop there. There's a second part, verse 31. It says the second commandment is equally important. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So just catch that last part. Nothing in the Bible is a bigger deal than those two things. There's a lot of help, there's a lot of nuances, there's a lot of explanations, there's a lot of backup to that, but everything in the Bible is leading you to do those two things and to do them the way Jesus did them, to do them as well as Jesus did them. And so not only is right relationship with God defined, but right relationship with people is defined as treating everyone else at least as good as you would treat yourself. If you were in their shoes, what would you want you to do for them, and you do that. That's righteousness. That's Jesus' standard for us, that we would treat everyone as we would want to be treated. And anything less than that is injustice. Anything less than you treating people as good as you would want to be treated is injustice. Ugh. Well, according to that definition, I have committed idolatry and injustice. And idolatry and injustice are the two greatest sins in the Bible. You could make a case for that. Idolatry and injustice are the enemies of all flourishing. They separate us from God. They separate us from people. They destroy everything God created us to do. When we commit idolatry and we commit injustice, it damages the life that we are meant to live. And Jesus has called us to live lives of righteousness and justice, loving God and loving people. And here's the beautiful thing. So far, if this message has seemed a little bit hopeless, it's because a part, it, without the next part, it would be hopeless. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness. That's what it says. He did every, every righteous thing that could be done, Jesus did it. He fulfilled all righteousness, and then he made his righteousness available for us to fill in the gaps of where we are unrighteous. The Bible says to clothe us in his righteousness and to cleanse us from our own unrighteousness. And he did that in his life and then in his death on the cross. He laid down his righteousness so that we could have a chance at righteousness. And not only did he do righteousness, he did justice. He spoke out against the injustices of his world, but then the ultimate injustice, the injustice of idolatry, of loving ourselves more than we love God, he laid himself down on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God that is against injustice, that is against idolatry. You get angry when you see injustice in the world? You should, because it's wrong, and it damages people, and it damages things. You know, when I look at the war in the Ukraine and what's going on there, it makes me mad. And it should make me mad. If you walk away and you're like, oh, how's Ukraine doing today? Oh, there's a little bit of a change in the war. Oh, I, you know, I have, uh, well, I'll check back tomorrow. That should bother us. 
People's homes being taken. People being murdered. Children being taken away from their parents. That should bother us. And that's one of hundreds of situations in our world. You know what blows my mind is that the West Coast in the United States, particularly Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, are some of the leading cities in the world for child trafficking. But none of us know anything about it. Or you do, and you're part of the problem. But how do we live here? And it's one of the biggest places in the world for that. And we're just like, hope it doesn't happen to my kids. That's messed up. And I'm presenting you problems. I don't know what to do about them, most of them, other than prayer. And some of you maybe are called to politics, which politics is not the enemy. Politics without righteousness and justice is the enemy. We're called to different things, and we are called to demonstrate righteousness and justice where we have influence, where we can influence and Jesus accomplished righteousness and justice on the cross. He came to the cross to fulfill all righteousness and make righteousness available. And because of Jesus' death on the cross, if you say, Jesus, I want to belong to you, do you know what he says? If you say your life belongs to him, your broken, unrighteous, unjust life, he says, I've, I've loved your life the whole time, and I will clothe you in my life, my righteous and just life. And he wraps you in his love, and he cleanses you from all unrighteousness and injustice, and he brings you into his family. And then he says, hey, I want to introduce you to the family business. The family business is taking righteousness and justice out to the world. Righteousness and justice out to the world. And he calls us to this in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That sounds familiar because he's God. Therefore, go and make disciples, followers of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's a whole new family right there. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands. That's righteousness and justice that I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Woo! Do you know what that means? That means, do you know what baptizing is? It's adoption into a new family. It's saying all the things that have been said about you, all the things you've said and done in the past, they're wiped away. You have a clean slate, clean track record, clean name. I baptize you, I adopt you into a new family, the family of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A family where you will never be by yourself. You will never be abandoned. You will never be alone. You will always be loved. That's the family of God. And while you're a part of the family of God, I want you to go help other people come be a part of the family of God. And when you introduce them to the family of God, teach them to obey. Loving parents teach their kids to obey. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, righteousness and justice. And when you're confused, when you're hurting, when you're worn out, when you're lost, when you feel completely alone, when you feel like you're being rejected because of the ways that I've taught you, I will be with you always, even to the very end. So the question for us this morning is not so much who we will vote for. That's a secondary, tertiary question. The question is, are you doing what God says about righteousness? In every relationship, are you living out righteousness? Are you living according to the word of God? 
Are you being obedient to the word of God? Are you, are you uh, conveniently excusing yourself based on grace that you are taking advantage of? Are you living according to the word and not just according to feelings and culture? Young people, I'm telling you what, you are set up for disaster. If you don't become more a man or woman of the word than anyone in any previous generation before you in your family, you will be seduced by the lies of our culture. It is set up for you. Set up for you to fail. And for those of us that are adults, we are accountable It has gone too far. It has gone too far. And our silence and our complicity and sometimes our rage and our anger about not getting our way has sabotaged restoration in our society. Are you sharing the message of Jesus? Can I say, there needs to be an awakening of of evangelism in the church. There is no excuse for you not to share your love for Jesus. I heard one pastor say it this way. He said, you know, we live in a culture where if you identify as something, they have to make room for it. The number one identity we have is Jesus followers. So when we come up against something in our workplace that goes against the life that Jesus has called us, we simply need to speak the language of our culture and say, I identify as a Jesus follower, and as a Jesus follower, I can't do this, but I have to do this. As a Jesus follower, I need you to make room for me, and I won't, I won't, I'm gonna live righteously and justly. I'm not gonna do anything wrong by anybody else, but I need space to love Jesus. And you know what? You might get fired for that. but some of your children need to see you so radically loyal to Jesus that you would lose a job or an income or a house or a vacation or a hobby or whatever else because he is worth it. They need to see something that you love more than their soccer team, something that you love more than your hobbies, something that you love more than your bank accounts, your promotions, your everything else. They need to see that you love Jesus more than all those other things. You know, the love of God, the loyalty of God is not because God's like, I need more attention. He has millions of angels that give him all that attention. He wants you to love him because it's the only chance the world has at finding flourishing again. We need to share Jesus everywhere we go, in our homes, in our workplaces. And then we need to operate in love. Are you operating in biblical love? Do you know that some of us, we really like to tell the truth, but the Bible says don't tell the truth unless you're gonna tell it in love. Don't tell the truth unless you're gonna tell truth with grace, because that's how Jesus came to do it. So are you telling the truth along with hospitality, welcoming people into your homes? Are you telling the truth along with generosity and forgiveness and mercy and fairness? Here's the thing. I don't speak about some of the issues in our culture because I never want, you know, that that group of pedophiles. I want them to come to our church. I want them to come to, to, to our church and find Jesus and find the purpose that he has for their life that's so much bigger than an attraction or a desire. I have hope for restoration. I have hope for flourishing for every broken person in our world. But we have to live that way. We have to live with joy and passion for life that's contagious. That's the way the Bible calls us to live. 
And when it comes to justice, are you taking action when your life is not right? Are you taking action? Or are you just like, eh, always struggled with it, I'll always struggle with it. It's just my burden to bear. No, it's not. Jesus took that burden on the cross. That is a cop-out if you just surrender to your sin. Are you taking action with repentance and humility and obedience and reconciliation and broken relationships? I feel burdened for our culture, our, our board of directors we are meeting on our monthly meeting on Thursday night and there was a moment where we just kind of like broke down and weeping in prayer for the future of our church, for the future of our nation. It was just a moment where the Holy Spirit captured us. That needs to happen in all of our lives. It needs to happen in every single one of us. There needs to be an all-in Jesus, whatever you want to do in my life, I will do it. There needs to be a surrender of every personal ambition, of every political expectation, of every other agenda that you have. There needs to be a radical surrender because that is the hope of our nation, is that Christians like me and you will allow God to do what he wants to do in our lives. That we will so commit ourselves to righteousness and justice that our comfort and our self-indulgence becomes far less important to us than it is right now. And here's the thing. Do you, it probably doesn't seem like it sometimes when I'm standing up here yelling at you and you're like, how much longer? <laughs> I am afraid to preach these messages to you because I know they're hard to hear. They're hard to say too. They're hard to think about all weekend before I say them. But do you know what I'm afraid of more? I'm afraid of not preaching them. I'm afraid of not saying what needs to be said. I'm afraid of us all living the same way we've been taught to live. I'm afraid of us all continuing in okay priorities that aren't the best priorities. I'm afraid of us continuing to excuse ourselves and watching our world go to hell while we don't care, while we have potential to change it. And we don't know how the Lord will use it, but it starts on our knees before the Lord surrendering everything. And so I wanna pray, and then I want us to practice surrender to Jesus if we are desiring God to move in our lives, in our kids' lives, in our grandkids' lives, in the lives of the LGBT community in our nation, in the lives of everyone who struggles with any other struggle, that we would like God's love to sweep our nation yes. and set things right, yes. set things back to flourishing. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we are desperate for you. We are desperate for you. And Father, I just pray that you would take this moment to capture our hearts and lead us, convict us, transform us, and put us on a path of righteousness and justice the way that your son Jesus lived before us and then died for to give us. Father, I pray that prayers would be prayed in the hearts of your saints today that would lead to transformation and revival in our nation. 
I pray that you would humble us so that we can humble ourselves so that we would not be self-righteous, but we would be God-righteous. I pray that you would do justice on us before you do justice through us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.